Hello, this is Simon. You may remember me from other episodes of the Wikicast. Hopefully you will agree that right now my audio quality is pretty fantastic, but in this following episode, my audio quality is anything but fantastic, despite the fact that I am a professional and I have professional gear that I set up professionally. I managed to record the entire episode with my microphone facing the wrong way. So with that, please accept my apologies that in this episode I am talking to you from what sounds like the arse end of a baked bean tin. I hope you enjoy, and once again, apologies. I am, after all, a professional. Enjoy. Hello, I'm Simon. And I'm Dan. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article and we talk about what we find. Dan, what are we talking about this week? This week, Simon, we are talking about 739 BC. Oh! Mm. Oh! Oh, we've never had one of these before! Now, I was saying before uh, before we started recording um, that... It, it, it's always very exciting when we get pod, um, podcast episodes like this where we are able to feature a different style of Wikipedia article. Mm. Um, normally, um, as as you would expect, we're given kind of a specific um, page on a given specific thing. Um, but sometimes you get little gems where you're given to a sort of kind of little mini mini satellite hub mm. um, and it gives you some options. And this is typically to do with anything where there's ambiguity, right? So take the name John Smith. It could say John Smith and then a list of like the the person, the animal, the name of the one of I don't know Saturn's moons, you know, like all these all of these random things. Yeah. Um in this instance we have 739 BC and the contents list is listed as Let me guess is is, is it going to be like ev- events? Yes. Births? Yes. Deaths? Yes. Is there another section? Yes, there is. And it's the section that's on every single Wikipedia article at the very bottom. References. Yes. Well done. <laughs> okay. I, lo- I have to admit, I love articles like this because it's it's such a... Um, if you were to genetically engineer like a race of archivists, it is exactly how they would categorise world history. It would mm. be like, here are all of the events from this year. Wait till next year when other things will happen. Well, it's interesting that you say where other things will happen, because not only is this article interesting because we've never had one of these little um, kind of satellite um, satellite pages, mm. but under references, there is something that I've never seen before. Go on. And it reads, this BC year article is a stub. You can help Wikipedia by expanding it. Yes. Yeah, no, I've seen that quite frequently. Well, not on a year one specifically, I guess. Well, this is the thing. A stub is an article deemed too short to provide encyclopedic coverage of a subject. Much like Dan Moore. Well, exactly. Um, <laughs> the interesting thing here, though, is that the there is only one thing listed in 739 BC. You're joking. There are no births. There are no deaths. There is one event. So 731 BC was this? 739 BC. 739. Okay, let's think about uh, uh, roughly what was happening in the world around then. So that's got to be around the time of like um, Babylonian Empire. Is that Has that kicked off by then? It will be around there, surely. I'm not actually sure what the dates of the Babylonian Empire were. All I know, I have like, because I grew up in the UK and our history is so like 
centered on like our history curriculum is so centered on what happened in the uk like the furthest that we really go back is the romans so i feel like everybody in the uk has a pretty good knowledge about the romans but and and the babylonians are one of these like oh yeah they were before but i don't know i don't actually have much of a good concept of how far before the babylonian empire was 700 bc is still pre-julian roman calendar uh, sorry, what do you mean by that? I thought Julian calendar was our modern system of having 12 months. Yeah, so it's pre that. But wasn't that... Well, oh, right, I see what you mean. Yes, yeah, so yeah, because it was a Roman invention. Yes. I'm looking up Babylonian Empire, by the way. Right. Um, there were several, it turns out. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. And, it, yeah, uh, it was... the the like. I think the big mighty one was... A little bit later on than what we're talking about here, it was like 600 to sort of 500. And it was pre- that empire was preceded by the Assyrian Empire. Is it by any chance related to that? Yes. Yes, it could. Yes, it is. It is. Is it going to be like the Assyrians taking a particular city as memor- as like recorded in a frieze somewhere? The specific event refers to a king. Oh. Mm. Um, and it's not a birth and it's not a death. It's not a birth and it's not a death, but it, 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 judging by, I haven't completely read all of it yet, but it sounds like it's going to be talking about the kind of the ascension or like coronation of, of this chap who I can exclusively reveal, Simon, <laughs> <laughs> is, is Hiram the second. Oh, of course. Sorry, of course. I, I slipped my mind. <laughs> yeah, I know. He was the Phoenician king of Tyre from 737 to 729 BC. Right. Okay. And what did um, <laughs> Philip Prince Philip? And, and what do you do? <laughs> Wait. Hang on. Wait. Sorry. 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 I'm confused here. So it's listing seven. The article page is seven thirty nine BC. Right. And here on the second was king from seven thirty seven to seven twenty nine. What? So, so not in seven thirty nine BC. Dan, I think we need to edit Wikipedia. I think there's another first for the show. We need to go in and edit. Simon, if we edit Wikipedia, this, the 739 satellite hub will not exist because even the one event that's listed is wrong. Right. Well, well what we've got to do is find something that happened in 739 BC. That, that, I feel like that is the only thing that we could do here, you know? Yeah, I suppose. Great. I just went on a, a historical website and it said, there are no historical records of this year. Yeah, so I've searched the Here I'm the Second Wikipedia page for 739, and at no point in the entire article is 739 mentioned at all. Something must have happened. No, on this day.com, nothing happened in 739 BC. There weren't many people around, I guess. Uh, so, you know, uh, I guess there's not a huge amount to potentially search for. Oh, huh, hang on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I think I might have found something. I think somebody died. And there's a reference for it as well. I have a reference. Oh, brilliant. Uh, hang on. One eternity later. Yes! Kai Husrau is definitely how you pronounce that word. Bless you. That hay fever is awful, isn't it? It's so terrible at the moment. Died in four, 739 BC. I have no idea who this person is. Kai, Hus, Kai Husrau. That sounds Egyptian. Or Persian, maybe? Or Persian. Damn, we've got it with that. There's there's a cancer here at the start, heart of Wikipedia. We found the first link in the chain starting to break. We must fix it. We must reforge it. In a way, 
given that we worked out when Barney was on that we've been doing this podcast for, was it three and a half, four years? Uh, yeah, it's been a surprising number of years. Either way, what I was going to say was, it's quite impressive that we've been doing it for this long, and this is the first time where there is a blatant error in an article. Error! Unacceptable! Not not necessarily an interpretation of historical fact or, or somebody working in opinion as opposed to fact, but just simply that if you're going to talk about something that happened in 739, you've got to make sure the dates somewhere feature 739, which this doesn't. Yeah. So it appears that there was a king of Iran, I think so. I think it was Persian. Right. Yeah, but it's interesting. There's a, there's a section of this book which I'm... Oh, no. Oh, no. This book that I'm reading from, Dan, is called Meru Mountains, Hyperborea, an Aryan Ancestral Homeland. Wow. Uh, this, how has this happened? This is this has gone down a path that I didn't expect, Dan. You know you pl- you know you can play that game where you hit random article and you've got to be the first person who via hyperlinks can get to Hitler. <laughs> yeah. What we've managed what we've managed to do is go from BC seven thirty nine, and in conversation and trying to find something, we're already getting close. Yeah, and I never it, it's 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 like six degrees of separation. Somebody says, "Oh yeah, I know, I know Kevin Bacon." Like, just yeah. out of the blue, you know? Uh, well, I was going to say, shall we talk about Hiram II? But he doesn't, he doesn't qualify, so I'm afraid we can't. I'm sure, he's got, I'm sure he was a very interesting person. Let, let me read to you, Dan, from the book of Aryan Ancestral Homelands um, about so all of the information I have here is it's basically a list of kings uh, in the context of a particular manuscript, I think. There's like being basically their lists of um, what their name was and when they ruled. And specifically, it's in relation to their, their rule is said every time in relation to Alexander the Great. So like according to this thing, the adversary of Kai Khosrov, Afrasiab, the son of Busheng, ruled 736 years before Alexander the Great. He is Afrasiab or Tuj, the Turk who has captured Iraq, ruled 723 years before Alexander the Great. And it just goes on and on like that. But there's one dude who who's called Humayun mm. or Kehusrau, son of Siavush, son of Kekaus, who... Uh... Kekaus? <laughs> As in the house yeah. of cake. K-A-Y-K-A-U-S. Kekaus. Right. Uh, it ruled 408 years for Alexander the Great, and that rule came to an end in 739 BC. Wow. Well, there we go. Somebody call Wikipedia and tell them that there actually is something. Why don't we can edit it, Dan? You could go in and do this. I mean, I, I could. I could do many things, Simon. <laughs> Are you saying this isn't the most important thing you could be doing today? I might be, I might be edging to that suggestion, yes. <laughs> I mean, in- interestingly, there's two... What? There's two... This doesn't make sense either. There are two kings who apparently stopped reigning in 739 BC... What, of the same realm? But Yeah, the same area, and then there's a different king. I think the first king might have gone off on a religious pilgrimage and been like, see ya, I'm not king anymore. In fairness, they do like doing that. Yeah, I mean, I guess kings haven't changed that much. Not really. But isn't, isn't it kind of crazy that these are events that took place nearly 3,000 years ago? Mm. And we have details of who was in charge and how long they reigned for. I recall, speaking of things happening at a time different to what, where we are now in it. Um, 
<laughs> I was. Uh, I remember having this sort of epiphonic moment where. Ooh, nice to use the word epiphonic. Thank you. Although it should be really epiphanic, shouldn't it? Because it's an epiphany, not an epiphony. Um, anyway, know. I mean, epi- epiphanic sounds a bit cheeky, <laughs> bit cheeky. Oh, bit cheeky. cheeky. Yeah, I remember thinking about things happening. I don't know. We might have been studying like the Victorians or something, and looking at how many hundreds of years ago such and such a thing happened, and thinking in the grand scheme of things, when you know you study things at school and you'd learn about the ancient Egyptians and things that happened thousands of years ago. You're like, that's actually not that long ago. But obviously in the context of reading history on paper, it's not. Mm. But if you think of how many generations typically span a century, you suddenly realise that actually just by looking at the numbers is not is not helpful at all. Yeah. Because if you could say, certainly as you go back, the number of generations in a set time frame actually increases because people were having more children younger. Yeah. So it gets kind of exponentially more distant, despite the fact that the time remains a sort of constant. But I suppose you could argue that history is basically a story of changing lived experiences, Mm. right? And like, in a way... The lived experience of somebody, say, two and a half thousand years ago, isn't actually going to be that different from the lived experience of somebody three and a half thousand years ago. It's raining, it's snowing on Mount Fuji. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like the 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 whole the the difference in a person's life lived now compared to a life lived fifty years ago is huge. Hmm. As was, but to a slightly lesser extent, the difference between somebody who was living 100 years ago versus 50 years ago. Mm. And like the further back you go, the less of a difference in the lived experience of an individual there will be, apart from, you know, obviously there's things like plagues and wars that will take place. Mm. But like, generally speaking, the rate of change of human society seems to be increasing over time. So once you go back to a thousand years or 2000 years, it's not that much further, really, in terms of that lived experience definition to go back an extra thousand years, you know? Mm. Like, even though human history is technically... I'm, I don't even know when you would technically class human history as starting. Like, 15, 10, 10 15,000 years ago? I suppose. Is history when defined as when um, things were starting to be written down? Is that still... Because that was when I was a kid, the definition between, you know, prehistory and history is... It's probably now not written down. It's probably kind of deliberate human recall. Because obviously there's lots of history... Like we we can talk about Ovid and Homer, mm. and when that was written down was centuries after that was actually being written because it was all it was there was an oral tradition of both storytelling and the purpose of storytelling was to recall history. Yeah, so it's probably going to be some kind of conscious effort on the part of a group of humans to recall something. I mean, modern humans evolved. I'm just looking at the wiki. I'm looking at the wiki for uh, human history. Mm. God, I love this website's amazing, isn't it? Unbelievable that it's free. Yeah, it's uh, it really is. It actually really when you think of the, the kind of absolutely mammoth task that that is Wikipedia mm. for that to be at the tips of our finger. In fact, this it was going to spur me on to say it would be really interesting, and I'm sure there are studies that must have tried to look at this. But actually, when you when you think about it from trying to gather kind of like empirical evidence, you can't really do it. But I was wondering whether, because as we advance and we become so much more, not only self-aware, but aware of our place in time and being able to look back at, you know, millennia of human history, what effect has that had cognitively and behaviorally on even things like emotion, not necessarily kind of actual kind of brain function and ability, Mm. ability to kind of empathize with a common neighbor. Funny you should mention that actually, because I was literally just reading on this article 
one of the definitions of when human history starts is when humans reached, quote, behavioural modernity. I see. What do they define as behavioural modernity? Uh, behavioural modernity is a suite of behavioural and cognitive traits that distinguishes current Homo sapiens from other anatomically modern humans, hominins, and primates. Right. Most scholars agree that modern human behaviour can be characterised by abstract thinking, planning depth, symbolic behaviour such as art, music and dance, exploitation of large game, uh, by which I assume they mean things like Fortnite, and blade technology, among others. Hmm. So, yeah, well, I guess what you're saying there is like, it's, it's kind of that, really. It's yeah. it's 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 how that uh, human culture of behavior evolved, but like I mean, and, and the other thing to point out is that that happened about fifty thousand years ago, according to this. Whereas anatomically modern humans were present from about three hundred thousand years ago. Mm. So there's a quarter of a million years that it took for humans to physically be here before they were mentally, intellectually present, if, if mm. in a way. I love this stuff. I absolutely love ancient history. Like, uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to the um, History of Rome podcast. Yes. Uh, I've, I've just started going through. I've, I've taken to I've taken to long walks at night, Dan, mm. uh, because because uh, Pixel Girl is still uh, finishing off the term in her old school uh, near London. Um, so I'm on my own in the evening. So I've just started going on walks and listening to the History of Rome, and it's uh there's there's something about this period in history where cultural ideas and modern behaviors emerged for the first time and the um uh like the creation of the first cities and and stuff like that that i don't know what it is but it really it's like a dagger through my brain it it really gets me it's it's crazy i remember having so back when i used to conduct exeter university singers the chamber choir at the university of exeter um we went on tour to rome in fact Oh yeah, I would. It w- we would have been recording the podcast, so there will be a podcast episode where I talk in depth about that. I couldn't possibly tell you which one, but anyway, there is one. Will I link it in the description? F- off, will yeah, I? Yeah, absolutely not. This is Fergus, the editor. The episode in question is episode thirty-nine. Timestamp: ten minutes and six seconds. Give me a fucking pay rise. But we, yeah, and 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 there was a. Obviously, we you know we we sang in some amazing places and met some amazing people and brought some really kind of lost and forgotten music, early polyphony that may have started and been born in a place like I don't know Basilica to Maria Maggiore, which was Palestrina's first church, mm. um, or Basilica. Um, is rarely his his music is rarely sung now because because polyphony and and large scale kind of choral works. In fact, not even necessarily large scale. Basically, they're not sung anymore. It's 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 mostly chant. Um, mm. uh, and the, uh, a priest there was was very emotional about how lovely it was to hear the the building building echoing with this music that should be here. And it was a very kind mm. of touching moment. And it really it was a moment like that where you can place you can really directly kind of emote to something that made you realise the significance of where you were standing and what has you know, what has come before. And I had exactly the same experience, not so much when visiting the Colosseum, which was very interesting, but a bit of a been, you were like, okay, yes, I've seen this now that that's fine. Um, Mm. But when I visited the Roman forum and, and that was unbelievable having, you know, that, that being such a a key site in, in history and history has happened there. Whereas the Colosseum was, a frivolity, you know. The fabled friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears, which is Mark Anthony on the steps of um, Palatine Hill. 
something. I've not got to that bit in the history of Rome down. I'm useless to you. It's either like a temple to Saturn or something or the Senate or something like that anyway. And I was standing about three yards away from those steps. And obviously this, this whole idea is popularized by it's, it's Shakespeare who in Julius Caesar yeah. that, that came up with all of this. But the point is Mark Anthony existed and, yeah. and these figures that you read about in books would have been walking along those streets, you know, and it, it just, the mind boggles. It really does. Um, yeah. It was yeah. the most incredible, incredible thing. Wow. Okay. So just a time check here. Since I've started my recording, we're sitting on about 24 minutes. Now the podcast in it in itself will be a little shorter than that, but we have brilliantly been able to talk about 739 BC that not only basically has nothing, but the one thing it has is wrong <laughs> and still <laughs> derive some kind of, I think, really interesting conversation from that. And, and you know what? I just quickly wanted to check before we moved on. Um, if we went one year either side, would we have gotten anything? And the answer yes. is yes. A bunch of stuff happened in, uh, in 738 BC, uh, a place in Poland, P- Poznan was built. Right. Uh, and uh, King Tiglath... Is that your, is that your very um, your very upper-class gran? <laughs> Poshnan? Poshnan, yeah. Oh, actually, sorry, it was Biskupin? Biskupin? It was built north of Poshnan. Uh, and also um, a king, uh, Tiglath Pileser III of Assyria, invades Israel. Whereas if we went to the 740, year 740... Um, there's like a start of a reign. There's another cook city being conquered. Mm. Dot. Oh, oh, Dan! The tenth Olympic Games happened, and Dotades of Messenia won the stadion race. Wow! What was the stadion race? No idea. Uh, I assume it's like a. Oh, it's got its own wiki. Okay, it's an ancient running event. It was one of five pentathlon events, the premier event of the nude competition. Wow. The Gymnikos Agon. Um, wow. Imagine, do, do you think more or fewer people would watch the Olympics if everyone had to be naked? Uh, absolutely more. But also, do you think, I, I can guarantee you that the uh, like world records would not be beaten if you had to be stark bollock naked whilst doing mm. your sport. Can you imagine running full, t- full tilt with your pork sword just slapping against your stomach? Yeah, I, I mean, I think... Almost more than that, I think just the general idea, of, especially now it's all you know televised and broadcast in HD. Um, you would probably not, mm. you probably struggle to get past that mental block and never be able to truly push yourself. Like after after you fail at your sport, you're just like, it's cold in here. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> it's normally much more impressive. Oh my goodness! Imagine what 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 high Olympic diving would be like. The most painful <laughs> thing imaginable. Every every like dive ends with the guys just cupping. Yeah, <laughs> like, they really. they plunge into the water like body slamming just with their hands over their balls. It's it's good we got to this part because I think the podcast so far has been far too interesting, poignant, and highbrow. So it's oh, good we just yeah. we're just going to drag it back to earth. What would be the worst sport to do completely naked? Um, cross oh um hur- uh hurdling. Yes. God. <laughs> yes, hurdling would be pretty bad. Every, everybody would just like, very gingerly try and get over those hurdles. <laughs> or, or anything on a pummel horse if it goes wrong. Oh, yeah, equestrian events. 
Yeah. Uh, as in, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, God. you mean the gymnastics, but I'm meaning, like, also yeah. if you were to be on an actual horse. Yeah, I thought you meant when I said pummel horse, you were thinking it was kind of like a, it was like equestrian meets boxing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like chess boxing. It's like, yeah. but, but horse riding <laughs> boxing. I mean, I'm sure somebody in our, our readership has probably done that sport already. Let's be real. <laughs> I'm sure they have. And this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please. Right, Dan, we find ourselves finally in a, a new section of the podcast. Uh, we, we, we really did milk everything that happened in 739 BC. Uh, but I want to hear about what your choral piece of the week is. Well, my choral piece of the week, there's going to be no fluffing about here. I know exactly what it's going to be. Um, but just a bit of context. I'm now I'm now getting some more regular um, musical kicks out of my uh, out of my weeks and months as they as they tick along. Uh, for those who might be new to the podcast, um, or for those who've forgotten, because it's not particularly interesting, um, I no longer sing Exeter Cathedral because I had to go back and do this law conversion, and frankly, it's too much work to do on top of singing music every day at. I mean, it's not like they. F- you, you you phrase that I have to go and do this law conversion. It's not like the cathedral told you to be like, get out, don't come back until you know how to do the no, law. No, it was actually it was actually through papal mandate. Commune, commune to me by the bishop so um it, it was uh yeah um anyway i chose um to sacrifice myself and and do this law conversion which is going very well i'm enjoying it very much i've started some new stuff but anyway i'm now singing at the uh, the tonic abbey simon oh namely buckfast abbey of, of course the, the uh the home of Buckfast tonic wine, except it's not the home because it's not made there. I didn't. I had no idea that the, of the reputation that Bucky had in other oh, places. It's, by it's, the way, it's infamous. But it's like because it's it's very alcoholic and it's c- caffeinated. Yes. Which is why would you ever want that? <laughs> I don't understand why it exists. For those who haven't heard of this, I'm going to read you a brief explanation again, courtesy of Wikipedia. Buckfast Tonic Wine is a caffeinated, fortified wine originally made by monks at Buckfast Abbey in Devon, England, now made under a licence granted by the monastery and distributed by J. Chandler and Company in Great Britain and uh, James E. McCabe in Northern Ireland. Despite being marked as a tonic, Buckfast has become notorious in some parts of Scotland and Northern Ireland for its association with the loutish Ned culture and antisocial (laughs) behaviour. High retail sales are recorded in uh, Lurgan, as well as throughout the central lowlands, including Glasgow and the surrounding areas of East Kilbride, Hamilton. Basically, it it's a very odd thing. It tastes a bit like cough syrup. Um, it's brown in the glass. Uh, it's got about 15% uh, alcohol. Um, There's a, a Guardian article here called... Buckfast, a drink with almost supernatural powers of destruction. Mm. There was a very good um, review of uh, an album, basically. Oh my god, we're, I'm, t- I'm going on a tangent again. I said there wouldn't be any bloody fluff, for God's sake. You call this part of the timeline, Dan. You're a variant. Let's go back to the sacred timeline of the podcast. <laughs> Let's go back. Let's go back. Right, so my choral piece of the week is because... The reason I mentioned Buckfast is because I sang it there um, for a... Um, uh, mass service on Sunday morning, and it is Sancta Trinitas Unus Deus by um, De Fevin or Fevin. I think it might be Fevin. Oh, where's he from? Anyway, anyway, 
that's F E with a dash V I N, uh, and it's it's really cool. It starts quite kind of homophonic in texture, and then breaks out into some quite interesting back and forth between upper and lower voices with kind of rhythms that get more and more fruity. Um, mm. And uh, it's really cool. I've never heard it before. I don't think I've ever sung much by this um, Antoine chap. Uh, never even heard of him, I've got to say. Yeah, it's really it's really cool. It's, the manuscript dates from this one that's 1498 from a apostolic book in the Vatican. And then there's another that dates from 1513, 1514. And uh, it's really cool. I urge people to listen to it. You can find a really excellent recording from a new ensemble I've been listening to called Alamir, A-L-A-M-I-R-E. Oh, Alamire. I know them. They're an, they're, they specialise in early music. They have a yes. whole album of the Spies Choir book. Um, yes. That was a gift. Yeah, yeah great the choir. Spy, it's, 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 the, um, it's the sixth track listing on that very album, the Spies Choir book. Ah, so I must have heard it before then. It clearly it made a great impression. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's really cool. It's really great, and I like it a lot. So that is Sancta Trinitas Unus Deus as my choral piece of the week. I will include a link to the album in the show notes. Critics' Corner, Simon. Yes. Now, my partner has started watching Love Island. I am terrified. That's all I'm going to say <laughs> on the matter. That's you like hud- leave it there. huddled in the corner, being like, no. I go upstairs. I go upstairs to the office. Not the watch, veneers. Watch what I want to watch because I cannot stand that program. <laughs> um, what I was going to do, and what I was alluding to earlier, is um, a couple of years ago now, maybe two years ago, uh, maybe a bit longer. Um, Buckfast Abbey uh, established its own record label. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they are called Ad Fontes uh, Record uh, Records. Is it Ad Fontes Records? It's just Ad Fontes. Um, and it's the uh, it's a record label founded by Buckfast Abbey dedicated to presenting recordings of the finest sacred music. Um, and it was all it all kind of came about with the with the, the new monster organ being put into um into Buckfast <laughs> I'm Abbey. So, this, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's this roof it's this Rufati organ and it's it's ridiculous, but it's it's quite fun. But, I mean, when you put a monster organ in somewhere down, you've got to make a fanfare about it. Well, <laughs> like film it at least. So there's a, there's an album recorded by Buckfast Abbey. There's some stuff from Royal Holloway. I think uh, Keeble College might have done some stuff. I think there's plans for Gonvalin Keys to come and do some things too. Now that Matthew Martin's over there, but most recently, um, a uh, a new album, uh, Symphony Roman, uh, organ music by Dupre, Vidor, and Tunamir. Tournament um is has has been recorded and it's excellent it's really good and it's been recorded by a listener of the podcast oh peter stevens oh really of westminster cathedral yeah so um peter's been 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 very kind and actually listening to the podcast for a while apparently but i wanted to talk about um the the album because it's brilliant for one there was a very excellent pun reviewing it uh, that I think Peter might have even come up with, but I don't know. But basically, the review of this new uh, album, the title of the article was called um, something like A New Tonic from Buckfast Abbey. Uh, and it, nice. was, it was very good. It was very good. Um, now, organ music, I think it's probably safe to say, might not be super accessible to everyone. 
for those interested in sacred music, obviously we hear quite a lot of it and sometimes we sing along. Um, but what I would urge people to do, um, the, the tournament that's on this album it, uh, features the L'Orgue Mystique, uh, a deeply spiritual reflection on two of the best known chants of Pentecost, Veni Sancti Spiritus and Veni Creator Spiritus. Um, and it's amazing. I, I, I think if I was going to recommend anybody to listen to it, even if you haven't listened to organ music before, find find this album. It's available on Apple Music and Spotify and probably YouTube and everywhere. And have a listen with some good headphones, maybe a nice glass of something in a dark room. Just close your eyes and let this tournament just wash over you because it it's fantastic. It's really, really good. So my critique uh, for this for this week's Critics Corner is... Uh, this new album, and it's great. Wait, as soon as you said um, Veni Sancti Spiritus, uh, I immediately was just taken back to the uh, Lauritsen, um What is the name of the whole cycle? You know, it's the one. It's the it's the song cycle that has like a Onata looks in, um, and I think Veni Sancti Spiritus is like maybe the movement before or something. But oh god, I love that piece. Not looks Turner. Yes, I think it. Yes, it is the looks of Turner. You're right. Um, yeah. Uh, oh god, I love that. It's the, it's the album that has um, that on, and there's like four four French love songs or something like that that I never listened to. If I'm, if I'm honest, um, but oh, love that. Oh, okay. Well, cool. I'll have to I'll have to check that out because I'm yeah. always in. I always fall into this trap of um, just listening to the same music over and over again on my Spotify. So. Uh, anything that's a new injection would be good. Well, exactly, and I had I haven't heard any tournament before, and I'm I'm frankly obsessed. It's it's just so so cool. Right. Oh, cool. Well, I'll I'll give it a go. Yeah. Um, I mean, my my contribution to this is decidedly lower brow, Dan. Uh, I've been watching Loki. Oh, see, I really I haven't started watching it yet. Is it any good? I really like it, actually. Oh, good, Because um, I, for background, I watched all of WandaVision and really enjoyed that series. I thought it was great. Um, I didn't, I, I haven't watched any of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, it just didn't appeal, really. Mm. Like, the two characters that I just don't really care about. And I'm yeah, not I'm enough of a Marvel fanboy to just watch it because it's Marvel. Um, but this, uh, I, I, I think Tom Hiddleston is one of the best things about the Avengers films because he's just having a great time, mm. you know. He's 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 just enjoying himself. Um, and in Loki, he definitely does that. And that, that was, I think, the thing that got me over the threshold. But it's it's a very um, it's very well made. It looks beautiful. I've got to say, the cinematography is fantastic. Um, and there's some good performances. I think the most impressive thing about it is that it's just weird, like. Mm. It's Marvel accepting the fact that they've got some really, really weird stuff in their back catalogue. Mm. Um, and just I just watched episode four, um, and at the end of it, I was like, what the fuck? Mm. Like, I, not, not even necessarily because the events are shocking, although some of the events that happened in the episode were quite shocking. Um, it was more just like, what's going on? Like, I yeah. don't know what's happening. <laughs> like... It was like, yeah, it was great. I, I, I really like it. If people, if people like, uh, especially if you liked WandaVision... Give it a go. Um, it takes maybe... Uh, it, I don't even know if it really takes an episode or two to get going. I think it kind of gives you the idea really quite well off out of the first episode, actually. Well, it's worth it's worth a dip into the water. Just just try an episode if you're on the fence. Okay, I'll give it a go. 
Um, but I've just I've not had very much time to consume anything recently. No. I've just been so busy with work, and we actually should point out that we missed a week of the podcast because um, Dan got his vaccine, um, and uh, then you also had a slight incident with a cooking knife. Mm. Um, yes, I did. It's self-inflicted. Your partner didn't just suddenly come at you. No, um, I was just being in in classic me style. I was furiously and without much awareness and actual kind of sensible knife handling skills i was chopping um i was chopping chopping mint and coriander for a for a couscous um so you. i know it's ridiculous and uh yeah then just decided to go right right through the end of my um my left pointing finger yeah at least it's my at least it's my left hand i mean because i you yes. know I, I handwrite all my law notes so if it was my right i'd be in a bit of trouble yes definitely but uh, and you changed the dressing and it's all seems to be okay so yeah it's fine i changed it uh, yesterday morning and it was quite impressive to see how well I've cut my finger <laughs> <laughs> let's not go into detail let's not go into detail on this Dan people are going to gruesome some people out here <laughs> the first comment the nurse made when she was like alright let's have a look then is was there was just kind of like a sharp intake of breath and she said gosh your knives must be sharp <laughs> and I was like I said yes they were and she said well you know kitchen you know kitchen safety 101 uh, a sharp knife is safer than a blunt knife um yeah i said yes yeah. i know except when you cut yourself she said yeah except when you cut yourself but yeah so basically we, between that and the fact that we've both been quite busy uh particularly i have been killing myself trying to get a video out which has just been released as the as of the time of recording oh in fact i watched it last night oh good um a lot of people did it's done very well actually. i enjoyed it very much good yeah it was very it's a bit of a weird one really because it was originally just meant to be oh i'm gonna try and learn some quantum field theory in a month let's see how much i can learn in a month and um it turned into this very personal kind of um kind of journey really mm. uh it was very 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 glad i did it it was very it was a very good experience but um basically alongside all of that work that's why we, we missed the week of the of, of uh, the podcast but also we haven't got a huge amount to talk about the one thing that i would like to mention before we move on um is a book that i've uh read recently uh which i don't think we talked about before called the history of bees I don't know if you've read this. Oh, I've seen this. Hmm. Yeah. It's excellent. It is one of my favourite pieces of fiction that I've read in a long time. I, I very nearly picked it up when I was in Waterstones the other day. I, I ended up picking up um, For Whom the Bell Tolls by Hemingway. Oh, yeah. And um, I think it's called Wine Wine to Glass. Right. Is that an Oz Clark book? It's an Oz Clark book. <laughs> Yes, of it's course. actually it's actually brilliant. I'm quite into my wine. It's called Wine by the Glass, and it's it's excellent. I really I would recommend it. But yeah, sorry. Um, something about bees. <laughs> yes, the history of bees. Uh, to very to very briefly give a synopsis, it's three um, threads, three stories that happen. One in England in the mid nineteenth century, one in America in mm. the two thousands, and one in China in the twenty. 90s 2080s 2090s um and that the, they originally appear to be completely disparate but there is actually a thread that goes between all three stories that are uh, you're introduced to as the book goes on because you have um you'll do a chapter of one then a chapter of the next a chapter of the third one um I see. and that structure works really well um it keeps you constantly interested and as the story goes on you start to see threads connecting them um and it, it works very well as a piece of fiction, but it also works very well as illustrating uh, how fragile our relationship with the natural world is, and in particular pollinators like bees, how crucial a role they are in um, in the way that we grow food, uh, and 
uh, how if they were to disappear, a lot of stuff will go very wrong very quickly. Yes. And um, as a book, it, it somehow manages to be both terrifying and post-apocalyptic and also hopeful and sentimental. And yeah, I, I just really, really enjoyed it. It's one of those great joys in life of just discovering a really good book. And uh, I feel like that was that was that for me. So if you, that sounds interesting to people, then uh, check it out. I'll put a link in the description. Mm. Top lot. It's that time again, dear readers, where we turn to both simultaneously our favourite part and our least favourite part of this podcast. Our favourite part because we get to thank you lovely lot for supporting us. I thought you were going to say it's our favourite part because it's the part where we get money. It's our least favourite part because we have to say thank you. No. (laughs) No. I think it's more fun to say thank you than get money, Simon. Yes, of course. That is the official Uh, position of uh, the Wikicast PLC. Yeah. Um, It's our favourite because we get to say thank you to you lovely lot who support us um, and... As we say every episode, your support cannot be emphasised enough in its in the difference it makes. I mean, firstly, without which it, this podcast wouldn't happen. Mm. Um, but it's always lovely not only to see that people want to support this weird thing that we do, um, but then also being able to hear from you in in the uh, in the corner that we'll go to later. But it's our least favourite part because we have to make fun of Patreon's uh, user interface, which actually is fine. It is. It's been fine for quite a while. It's been fine for a long time. But because we started... When, you know, early doors, it really wasn't fine. It was clunky and difficult. And and I think we've just kind of... We have such a close relationship with Patreon now that it would feel wrong to let that go. Mm. That being said... Patreon.com We haven't said the URL yet, Dad. I've just realised. I'm trying to put it in. Nah. <laughs> it's patreon.com forward slash the wikicast. Thank you. Brilliant. That was that was such a slick interruption to my uh, to my spiel. <laughs> you barely there. noticed it, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, hardly noticed. Bing um, bong. It, it falls upon me to say an enormous thank you to those who support the uh, the supreme and clear choice in, in best pet. Uh, team dog specifically our top dogs um, and those who who support us with five dollars every month so without further ado i'd like to say an enormous thank you to sam harvey soon to be phd elspeth ben caples josh shiaja uh, henry seventh king of england and france lord of ireland aaron curry augustin adrian chan naf laroch hasse hansen aaron jorgensen lexi at front desk Eve Sharples, Alistair Fortune, Peter Reed, Maggie, Colin J. Brown, Codzo, Ben McMurtry, Jay Wright, and Eric Bolliger. Thank you so much. Bing bong! Could the following people please come to the front desk to receive appreciation for being top cats? Jerry Moore, Nathan Flaherty. Should I do the whole bit like this? If you want to. I mean, I'm, I'm sick of it already, but you can keep going if you'd like. We've got to double down. Ultra Piggy, one, two, three. Violet Hatch. Abu El Ella, the physics boy. Hugh Janus. Wait, what? Oh, that's not a real one. Um, Simon P. Jack Easton. Izzy Christie. Oh, wait, no. Sorry, uh, take that one out, Ferguson. Izzy CC. Nafi Iftikar. Christopher Betterton. Dame Valerie III. Layla Medina. Oliver Craigie. Will Jenis Humphreys. Renz Kirk. Oliver Burkhart. Omar Miranda. Cole Mansfield. Princess Andromeda. Chucko Cat. Bendit. Isabel Ostrowski. Matt McGuire. And Dan Hanvey. Thank you so much to everybody who supports the show. You pay for our editor, you pay for our hosting, you pay for the show. It, it's it's only possible because of you. So thank you very much. 
top lad. Oh, we've got some in here. Oh, oh, what's this? Oh, children. <laughs> Emails and lollipops. All free today. <laughs> oh, I hate that. It's the um, it's the um, when one of the kids goes. No, no, the child catcher goes, treacle tarts. And then one of the kids just screams from inside a house, treacle tarts! <laughs> you're like, you're meant, to, you're meant to be quiet, you fool. How am I, I, I wish I loved anything as much as that kid loves treacle tarts. <laughs> just incredible. The amount of noise that comes out of her face is unreal. Even if, e- even if, like, somebody were like, chocolate bourbons, I wouldn't be like, oh, chocolate bourbons! <laughs> Like, I just wouldn't be able to, you know, keep it in. We have an email here from from a regular, and not, not just a regular, a veritable VIP of the of the pod. Uh, it's from Peter Reed. Oh, a very indignant person. Mm. <laughs> and Peter's Peter's email begins, How dare you? Yep. <laughs> there it is. It so follows. Hello, Simon and Dan. I was recently reading the Wikicast and was greatly offended when Simon described me as being cat-like. First of all, how dare you? For goodness sake, Simon, don't read that out like Greta Thunberg. <laughs> Tangent, did you know, dear reader, she follows Simon on Twitter? Yes. Cats are hellish demon spawn that simply look cute and gorge on the food their owners provide in exchange for the occasional moment of affection where they wave their bum in your face. Peter, I totally agree with you. You are on the money here. Dogs, on the other hand, are the greatest creatures to walk the face of the earth. Sorry, Claude. Wait, 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 you've missed a line there. <laughs> oh, yes, I have. I'm sorry. Having having met me, Simon, you should full well know that I do not gorge myself on food, Correct. nor am I cute, and I definitely don't have an affinity for waving my bum in people's faces. Hey, we don't talk about that time at Yogcon, Peter. Yeah. Like, that's... <laughs> what what happens at Yogcon stays wait, at Wait a minute, I've just noticed he's, what he's signed the email off of. If you look at his email signature... Peter Reed slash Simon's Childminder. For God's sake, don't read my phone number out. Brilliant. I like this a lot. <laughs> Dogs, on the other hand, are the greatest creatures to walk the face of the earth. Sorry, Claude. They are loyal, often clumsy, and often have little common sense. Three characteristics I feel I have in common with man's best friend. In episode 91, you started to ask about the letters making up the call signs of Wasser AM, W-A-S-R-A-M. This has really riled up the, the, the readers, hasn't it? Yeah. Us not understanding this. <laughs> a station based out of the gorgeous state of New Hampshire, a state I've been afforded the opportunity to visit twice. For some reason, America decided to assign K to stations west of the Mississippi and W to stations east of the Mississippi. And there follows a link explaining. Yes, you read that right. They assigned K to west and W to east. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> then again, what can you expect? This is the USA, the country that still uses imperial Unix units, taxes its, citizens, taxes its citizens living abroad, and elected Trump. Did you expect it to make sense? Uh, he makes a good point. Anyways, that's my rant over. Thank you for providing I'm sorry, what? such... That's my rant over. Thank you for providing such great entertainment weekly. Yes, all right, Peter. We know it's not quite uh, weekly. Please do take Mr. Moore to the Harry Potter studio tour before you move. It's fantastic. And please can we have more lawyer Dan rants soon? I love the passion I saw from Dan as he talked about the law in relation to Skips. Best of luck in your studies. Skips as in the um, refuse receptacle, not the crisp. And much love to Simon, Pixel Girl, and the adorable ball of joy that is Jasmine. Much love. Oh, someone's changed their tune. (laughs) 
Wait a minute. <laughs> Simon's childminder. I, 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 this will not do, but you can't spend this email slagging off cats and then be like, oh, but you are perfect, my little baby girl. Oh, like, no, that's not how it works. Pick a side, cat. It's like, it's, it's like uh, the Civil War. <laughs> Which side are you on, cat? <laughs> You're going to sign the cat Covia Accords? Incredible. We have a lovely email here from Lewis uh, titled An Emotional Thank You. It reads, Dear Dan and Simon, a.k.a. Mrs. Clark and Mr. Moore. Why am I the... Anyway, I'm writing this email currently sat in my sixth form study area listening to episode 79 and I wanted to say thank you for looking after me during three of the toughest weeks of my college experience so far. As someone who is on the autistic spectrum, I suffer from a lot of anxiety surrounding COVID and with my timetable changing from one subject a day to multiple subjects a day, I've constantly worried about COVID and the problems that come with surrounding mixing with various people. Your podcast has looked after me and kept me calm when I need to. After finding it on YouTube to begin with, I've started to regularly listen to your podcast every bus journey and studying period as a distraction. Just thank you for the humour, interesting chat and company through an incredibly tough time. Well, Lewis... Um, you are so incredibly welcome. Thank mm, you, absolutely, for for such a lovely email for writing in and supporting the show. You know, by by giving us content, you keep the show alive. Because yeah. Lord knows we don't have any content of our own. And we're also <laughs> sorry to, sorry to hear that you've been going through uh, the three three of the toughest weeks of your college experience so far. It will get better. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and yeah. um, even if even if the tunnel goes on a bit. With with the regular, with the regular broadcasting schedule that we adhere to, so, so <laughs> kind of strictly at the at the Wikicast, um, you can hope for a little kind of a little lantern light not too far ahead in the future. It's like, uh, do you remember the movie poster for the assassination of uh, Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford? No, I think that was the title. It's like a guy. Uh, it, it's like nineteenth century America, and there's like a train tunnel with a guy with a lamp at the end. And that's us. Oh, right. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're not assassins. We're here to help. Honest. We're not assassins. <laughs> Which is, of course, what an assassin would say. Yeah. But uh, yes, you're very welcome, Lewis. Uh, and uh, they conclude, I hope Dan's law conversion is going, has slash has gone well. And I hope Simon is enjoying being the doctor. Uh, again, thank you from Lewis Bassingdale, the politically obsessed nerd in the corner, aged. Oh, God. Uh, 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 547,872,140.369. What? Bananas? <laughs> you haven't given us a, a unit, Lewis. Uh, at the time of writing. Well, I'm glad that that was very specific. Uh, uh, seconds? Maybe? Stardate? Bananas? Who knows? Uh, well, Lewis, you're very welcome. I'm glad that we can help. We have an email here from Sam which is exciting because it is titled Friendly George's Defamation defamation slash Christos Arrest Information. Yeah, I watched the video after we did the episode and it is yeah. terrible, the situation, Yeah, isn't it's it? really terrible. And thankfully, there's been, some really, there's been some really great news coming out I've been following. But I'm so glad that someone... I'm just looking at the sign-off here and Sam has an honours degree, uh, undergrad in law, a graduate diploma in legal practice... So like a PLC, I guess, is what which is what I'll be doing next year. And an LLM, Ooh. which is also what I'll be doing next year. And he's a solicitor. So this is going to be really interesting. And I hope that it's not going to just rip apart my understanding of the situation. <laughs> so um, let's see what happens. 
Hi, Simon and Dan. Firstly, Dan, congratulations on finishing your law exams. As someone who has undertaken his law degree and LLM and is now doing a PhD focusing on Australian common law, I'll talk about this more below, Mm -hmm. I can remember with a cold sweat developing as I type the exams I faced throughout the four-year degree and how much pressure you're under both before the exams and in the period before the results are released. Like you, I enjoyed public law. We call it administrative law here in Australia, as judicial review is such an awesome power to hold the state to account. I totally agree. I have every confidence you have done really well and wish you the best in your future legal career. Thank you. Uh, if you are ever contemplating a legal career which may take you to Australia, I'd be happy to give you any assistance I can in making the transition. That is such a lovely thing to say. I mean, Aww. I do want to try and put my citizenship to some good use. So should it all go tits up here, I may well nip over and, uh, and do something. Sam continues, also on the PhD front, Simon, you might not remember this, but we briefly exchanged emails a while ago when I was contemplating undertaking my PhD. Yes, I remember. Well, some months later, and as you can see in my email signature below, I am officially a PhD student at the Queensland University of Technology. Hey, hey! I am undertaking a PhD looking at the development of common law in Australia, which will involve critical analysis of cases and common law theory. I will have to thank your countrymen for importing the common law into Australia and thus many years later giving me a topic to write my thesis on. But at least we did something right. (laughs) Simon, thank you again so much for your videos and for your words of wisdom, both in the videos and in your emails. Oh, you're very welcome. It is hard working full time as an insurance litigation solicitor. Nice. And doing a PhD um, part time. However, it is something I've wanted to do for a long time and nearly a year in. So I'm glad I took the plunge. I should say that I'm writing this email after just discovering your podcast. While I knew Simon had a podcast from references on YouTube channel, on the on the YouTube channel, sorry, on YouTube channel, I had no idea it was still going. I've immediately become a top dog. Um, I'm with you, Simon, on Patreon and look forward to diving deep into the back catalogue. Sam goes on uh, to mentioned the uh, friendly Geordie's case I mentioned last episode and uh, has given some really interesting thoughts about what he thinks um, regarding the situation uh, especially as he is a, uh, a solicitor himself um, and we've read that and it's it's fascinating Sam I absolutely will be in touch um, thank you so much for writing in he ends by saying otherwise please keep up keep up the awesome work uh, I cannot wait to hear the back catalogue as I spend many late nights reading cases and other materials as I work towards obtaining my PhD. Kind regards, Sam. Well, oh, What an interesting cracking. email. There's a fair bit of the email that we, we didn't read out on the show there um, for, yes. for reasons that uh, Sam requested. But uh, that was very, very interesting. So thank you very much for getting in touch there, Sam. Sam also clarified that he sent another email p.s after sending this email and reading more of your wonderful podcast i realized that i'm with you dan top dogs all the way sorry simon wrong just sam uh 27.43 years of experience going around our son <laughs> those are some fantastic bits of correspondence there dan this week i've got to say fantastic mm, work really community. really brilliant but dan what have we learned today Simon, we've learned we've learned so much. We we learned about everything that didn't happen in 739 BC. Turns out a fallow year, including Hiram the Second becoming becoming the king of Tyre, which didn't happen. Yeah. Um, we we had a very lengthy conversation about the nature of human history and the effects that it has, um, socioculturally, cognitively, behaviorally, emotionally, um, and then we brought it down to how funny it is that the Olympics used to be run in the nude yeah I, I i still struggle my brain is still processing this information <laughs> uh, i mentioned my choral piece of the week uh, sancta trinitas we critiqued a bunch of stuff including the highbrow of choral music and the lowbrow of 
Disney slash Marvel's Loki. We did. But both of them both of them are great. As is the history of bees. I mentioned that fantastic album uh, from from a fellow reader of the podcast. And a Hamlet reader of the podcast will be in touch next week. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Very good. That's all for this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice. You can join the Discord, and if you'd like to see our faces, check out our YouTube channel, Spongy and Electric. The worst sports to be played naked, hay fever woes, and other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again for another tumble down the wiki rabbit hole. And and we'll we'll see see you you next time. Boom. Hot Girl Summer. We're ready for it. Yes.